Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Hayden Grove, along with Chris Fedor, as always. And Chris, it has been a busy Monday for you. Uh, the Cavaliers currently do not uh, have an opportunity to play games in the NBA bubble, but uh, they did make some moves today in regards to the roster. So um, what can you tell us, first of all, about um, signing Jordan Bell and then converting the two-way contract of Dean Wade and then Alfonso McKinney? There are a lot of people to talk about. Um, so first of all, just hit on those if you could. All right. So I think we'll start here. Um, they had two open roster spots, but they had some things working against them here. Hayden, um, they were about $980,000 below the luxury tax and they were, um, it wasn't a decree from owner Dan Gilbert to stay below that, but look, this is one of the worst teams in the NBA. Um, there's only, uh, some level of uncertainty with what they can and can't do going forward into this offseason. So they weren't going to go into the tax to sign anybody. Um, so they didn't have a lot of money to offer. They couldn't claim guys off of waivers and inherit their contract because they had to stay below $980,000. Um, the other thing that was working against them here, Hayden, is that they're not going to Orlando for the NBA restart. So sure. that means these guys, um, all the free agents understand that they're not going to have an opportunity to play. They're not going to have an opportunity to showcase themselves heading into free agency. You know, some of these guys, the ones that signed with Brooklyn, um, maybe some other guys that are going to sign here are considering this like a showcase, kind of like a G League type showcase, because, you know, not everybody, not every team is going to play their mainstays. Um, for all eight seeding games before the playoffs. So because the Cavs aren't going to Orlando, like the top guys really didn't give them as much consideration. Um, beyond that, they scoured like all the rosters that they could. The G League rosters, free agency. They talked to the NBA about whether they could sign anybody who's been playing overseas. And the NBA said to all the teams, um, the only guys that you can sign had to be on an NBA roster at some point in 2019-20 um, or a G League roster in 2019-20 or a free agent in the NBA, not somebody who's been playing overseas. So all of those different factors, Hayden, it really limited the things that they could do with these two open roster spots. And the Cavs basically said, hey, Dean Wade is somebody who we know. Dean Wade is somebody who played well for us with the Canton Charge. He works his butt off. 
He can shoot from the outside. He's more of the modern day big with his ability to knock down threes and, and switch between the four and the five spot in certain lineups. So let's reward him and convert his two-way contract into a standard NBA deal. Plus the Cavs had gotten some intel that the Washington Wizards were interested in Dean. Um, that was before Washington learned that he couldn't join them in Orlando and actually play minutes with them because he was on a two-way with the Cavs during the season. Um, but this is obviously somebody that the Cavs like, and they wanted to reward him, and they think he's got a shot to make the roster in 2020-2021. Um, Jordan Bell, I think a lot of people uh, know who he is. Played with the Golden State Warriors, played in the playoffs with the Warriors. Um, when they were cap-strapped, they decided they couldn't match his offer sheet that he got from the Minnesota Timberwolves, so he ends up in Minnesota. Then he gets flipped in a trade with the Memphis Grizzlies, and then all of a sudden Memphis decides right before the pandemic that they're going to move on from Jordan Bell, and they wanted to sign um, Jonte Porter, uh, who was in the 2019 draft, um, thinking that his upside was a little bit better than somebody like Jordan Bell. So the Cavs said, all right. We'll take a look at these guys. They're both non-guaranteed contracts. I guess the way that I would explain it, Hayden, is um, low risk, high reward potentially with Jordan Bell. And Dean Wade gives them um, somebody who knows their system and an extra big because um, Ante Zizic is not in the Cavs' plans moving forward. And he is more than likely going to be overseas um, for the coming future. So you mentioned, you know, the bigs. I mean, the Cavaliers seem to have an assortment of bigs. <laughs> it's just like Larry Nance, Kevin Love. Uh, now you add Jordan Bell, Dean Wade, Tristan Thompson's still up in the air, obviously. I mean, what was their, you know, the Cavaliers, we've talked about this whole offseason about the Cavaliers, their need for a wing. Um, why, why not go with a wing and why go with a guy uh, like Jordan Bell and a guy like Dean Wade, who are both kind of more of the traditional bigger men in the NBA? Yeah, so if we start with Bell, um, the Cavs feel like even though uh, he does play power forward slash center and, and they're relatively committed at that particular position, he brings something that they don't currently have on the roster. Um, a shot blocking element, athleticism, and an ability to switch onto smaller guys. Um, so in that sense, he's kind of like Larry Nance Jr., but probably a little bit more um, of a... Uh, has a little bit more of a reputation as a shot blocker and defender um, or rim protector, I should say, than Larry Nance Jr. So uh, it's not like the Cavs set out Hayden and said, we're, we're going to just give us all the bigs, right? <laughs> like right. they looked at every possibility that they could over the last couple of weeks. And they did look at some guards Right. Alonzo Trier is a name that's out there. Everybody's been talking about him because New York got rid of him. Uh, the Cavs looked into that. They couldn't claim him off waivers because they didn't have the money to do that. They talked to Trier's agent once he finally did clear waivers. They discussed what Trier was looking for in the kind of contract and the structure of the deal. The Cavs didn't like it, thought it was too much money, thought it was too much of an investment. And they didn't like how he was going to fit alongside young guards, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr. Um, Theo Pinson, they couldn't claim. He got claimed by Brock Aller and the New York Knicks. Uh, they looked at Travion Blewett, who is a G League player. If you remember, he played for Xavier. Xavier, yep. Yep, so they looked at him. He had a pretty good year in the G League. 
Um, there's a kid, Davon Akun Purcell. He's on a lot of lists if you read them on ESPN or The Athletic or some of these other places. Uh, the Cavs looked into him. He's a 27-year-old uh, shooting guard. Uh, Assistant General Manager Mike Ganzi's brother actually coached him two years ago at Fort Wayne in the G League. And the intel that the Cavs got back on Akun Purcell was not positive. Uh, so they did not want to go that direction. They thought about Brandon Paul, somebody who was with them um, in the G League with the Canton Charge. But again, he played overseas, so they couldn't go that direction. They looked into Charles Matthews. Uh, he played at Michigan in college, um, tore his knee up before the 2019 draft. Uh, because he's not on a roster and he's technically just um, floating out there, he's not somebody that the Cavs are able to sign until October. So uh, they looked into wings. Everybody wants them to get a wing. They want a wing. They understand that they're thin at that spot, but they just didn't like those options more than Dean Wade and Jordan Bell. Uh, they also looked into some other big guys, too, Hayden, and they figured Dean Wade and Jordan Bell uh, were the best fit for them based on what they need at this point in time. And if the guys don't make it, if they don't make it on the roster next year, then you just move on from them. And it doesn't really cost anything except for the $375,000 they are paying Dean Wade for the rest of this season and the $250,000 they are paying Jordan Bell for the rest of this season. So they structured it in a way that allows them, if needed, to have financial flexibility. And with some of the options that they were looking at, they probably wouldn't have had that um, because the guys wanted a different structure with the contract. So we talked, you know, you mentioned a lot of wing names, and it, it makes sense, you know, why they would go with the guy like Jordan Bell, a lot of NBA experience, and again, the low-risk, high-reward kind of guy. Um, and then I'm looking at your piece on Cleveland.com, uh, Hey Chris, uh, and it also mentions another big who made some news this week, uh, that would be Andre Drummond, who said mm -hmm. he was going to uh, opt in with the Cavaliers. Um, but your column and your um, headline here is, will the Cleveland Cavaliers attempt to sign Andre Drummond to a long-term contract extension? So if he does opt into his deal, he's getting paid a lot of money. But would the Cavaliers look for a bigger, longer future for Andre instead of just this one year? Or is this kind of a test out to see if, you know, what kind of a player he's going to be in Cleveland and where, you know, where they would go going forward? Cavs were hoping to test it out, Hayden. They were hoping yeah. to have like two months at the end of the season after requiring him in February to see what it was going to look like, how he was going to help Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Colin Sexton, how he was going to fit into what J.B. Bickerstaff wanted to do offensively and defensively. And that was their hope to have a little bit more intel and information. They know about Drummond, obviously. Yeah. They've played against him. Kobe Altman has known him since USA Basketball. But they want to see him in their system with their guys and how he fits in their locker room. And they only got eight games of that. So that's not a lot of information. Um, and especially if you're talking about making a huge investment in this guy, not just for one season, but for maybe four or five. So I think it's something that the Cavs have shown interest in. Uh, Drummond's side has expressed interest in the same thing. I just don't know that it makes the most sense for the Cavs to go that direction. Hey, look, maybe they look at it and say Andre Drummond is a two-time NBA All-Star. Um, he is somebody who was once labeled a franchise player for the Detroit Pistons. He got a huge contract from the Pistons. 
Um, he brings us an element that we don't have, size, rim protection, athleticism, like a true center. Um, that's something that the coaching staff, even when John Beeline was here, Hayden, was shouting about. We're too small. We don't have enough rim protection. We can't be a good defensive team because we don't have the components. So maybe the Cavs look at it and say, hey, there's nobody that we can get, not just this season, but into the future that is going to be as impactful as Andre. So let's make the commitment to him now and keep him out of free agency in 2021 when teams are, one, going to have money, uh, two, going to need to spend it on somebody other than Giannis, and three, maybe things are going to normalize a little bit when it comes to the salary cap in the NBA post-COVID. Maybe the Cavs do look at it that way. And I would, to some extent, understand that thinking Um, But I just don't think that's the kind of guy in this era, Hayden, that you um, when you're in the middle of a rebuild and financial flexibility is so important. I don't think that's the kind of guy that you want to start spending upwards of 20 million dollars a year on because it really limits the other stuff that you can do around the roster. Well, isn't this something that they could wait? They could wait until the middle of, um, you know, middle of next season or at the beginning of next season and say he has a really good run and. He looks great and he's fitting in the locker room well and seems like things are going well. Couldn't they wait and say, okay, you know, Andre, we, you know, we, you know, we're kind of, we've always considered an extension. Well, now we really want to put the pedal to the metal. Um, is it, I don't think they would have to do that now, would they? Well, they can't do it now. They right. would have to wait until like, I think it's October 23rd, yeah, exactly. that yeah. date. Um, but the thinking behind before the season, because if that scenario plays out the way that you're laying it out there, that he's Andre Drummond's, more money. Yeah. Yes, Andre Drummond's agent, Jeff Schwartz, is going to be like, you know what? No, we're going to take our chances in free agency when contenders are going to have money because contenders have loaded their cap space to take a run at Giannis. And if they don't get Giannis, they're going to go to the next tier of free agents. And if they don't get the next tier of free agents, they're going to go to the next tier of free agents. You know what I mean? So yeah. The market, I think, in 2021 for Drummond, while I don't think it's going to be steamy because he's a traditional big and those are going the way of the dodo bird, um, it might be one that Drummond and his camp want to at least explore before locking themselves into, you know, the Cavs, a team that's still early on in this rebuild um, and on a team where... Drummond's the way that he is used and the way that he's valued may not be the same as a team that could sign him in free agency thinking that maybe he's the missing link. You know what I mean? Yes. So that that scenario could play out that same way. So that's why I would say if there is a contract extension, if there are those discussions to me, it's most logical to have them before the 2020-2021 season starts. Again, so even then, I mean, it could be, you know, they could, th- they could think this over for the entire summer. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. But, but the problem is, like, they're not, what other information are they going to gain? They're going right. to learn more about Andre Drummond, the person, but mm-hmm. in terms of the fit, They're just not going to have a lot of data to go off of. Maybe they can do more statistical breakdowns, but eight games, um, that's really a small sample size. And making such a large investment based on eight games, 
um, in your system, with your guys, with your coaching staff, it's it's really, really risky in the position that the Cavs are in. Certainly. And it's certainly one that, you know, I don't envy them. And, and it does stink for everybody involved because they didn't get you're right. They didn't get that chance they were hoping for. So um, but again, when is Andrea expected to opt in officially? Is that do we have a date for that? So he needs to have the paperwork in by October 17th, which is the day before free agency is scheduled to officially start Okay, uh, two days after the NBA draft. So that's the other thing in play here, too, Hayden. If if the Cavs use their top pick on Anyeka Kongwu uh, from USC, uh, James Wiseman from Memphis, who, by the way, shares the same agent as Andre Drummond yep. and Kevin Love, um, or is there another big that I can think of? Eh, I guess Obi Toppin. Yeah, to I was going to say, but that. yeah, but not really. Right. Um, if If they go that direction... You know, that could change how much they're willing to invest into somebody like Andre, because here's the other thing that they have to consider. Larry Nance Jr. is going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2023. So you have to plan for that. And you've already got 30 million a year about committed to Kevin Love. This is the NBA, right? Like, you don't want a majority of your cap space tied into big guys. That's true. Unless they bring the kind of versatility that somebody like Larry Nance Jr. does or Draymond Green or, you know, some of these other, um, quote unquote, bigs that are getting uh, the bigger contracts because they fit better in today's era. Certainly, certainly. I mean, it's something that. You know, it's just the way the NBA changes. I mean, but as you mentioned, you know, a guy like Giannis is like seven foot, a guy like Kevin Durant, seven foot, but they're definitely not, they're definitely more so play like a small forward, play like a a guard than a big man. So I totally understand your point is that, you know, you don't want your, you you don't want your money invested in guys that play as more as the traditional big man than the athletic kind of newer um, wave of big men. Yeah. Um, it's there is another piece on the site, and this is something that I definitely want to get into. We've talked a lot about bigs, and we've talked a lot about Andre Drummond. We've talked a lot about, you know, the 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 roster as a whole. Um, but you uh, got to chat with Darius Garland. Mm-hmm. I did, and, and it was good had, to talk to him. Yeah. So you talked to Darius Garland. Obviously, we talked about him having quote unquote the worst NBA season of anyone last year. Uh, but you spoke to him. So what, what was the, you know, what was the chat like and, and what did you get from Darius Garland and what he, uh, what he went through last season? One, he was aware that I wrote what I did. <laughs> yeah. That certainly came up about um, me pointing to the numbers that point to him being the worst player in well, the Well, he NBA. had to know that you weren't, I mean, I, did he not understand that you weren't saying that he was the worst player in the NBA? Like, maybe you no, were. he understood. He understood. Yeah, okay, in yeah, fact, okay. somebody with the organization joked with me because I had talked to them, I want to say the day after that I spoke to Darius. Yeah. And I was letting them know. I said, hey, I had this conversation with Darius. The story is going to drop, da, 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 da. And um, the person with the organization stopped and they were like, when did you talk to him? And I said, oh, I talked to him yesterday. And the person was like, I'm surprised that he did considering you called him the worst player in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I didn't call him that. The numbers called him that. Right, I just exactly. write about the numbers. I'm just right. reporting what is out there. Um, right. 
So I just thought it was really, really interesting to get in the mind of Darius and allow him to tell his own story of his rookie season. Sure. And one of the things that that I wanted to know, and, and him and I had talked about this throughout the course of the year, but he never wanted to admit it, either on the record or off the record. He never wanted to use it as an excuse. He never wanted to show weakness. But he finally admitted to me, Hayden, that he never felt like himself this year. And there was a belief inside the organization that he wasn't going to be the Darius that they knew, the Darius that they drafted fifth overall until around the All-Star break, just because of how much time he needed to, to get him back himself back into the form that he was before his injury. Sure. And because in the offseason, while everybody else was working to get better, he was just working to get back to the level that he was at previously. And obviously that wasn't going to be enough when you're playing against some of the top point guards in the NBA on a nightly basis. So sure. the Cavs expected some of his struggles. Um, I don't think they expected him to be the worst player statistically in the NBA, but they expected some of his struggles. And and he admitted that the, the knee problem, um, it's something that mentally was was difficult for him to get past because one, he was thinking about it when he would drive to the basket, when he would make a sharp move, um, because before this year started, Hayden, the last time he was playing an organized basketball game, uh, he tore his meniscus. Yep. So that was the memory that he had, and it was a bad memory. And sure. on top of that, he knew how good he was at the prep level. Right. He, he participated in Team USA stuff. He participated in Nike Elite. He participated in McDonald's All-American, like all those different circuity things. So, so he knew he belonged there and he knew how good he once was. He was one of the top recruits coming out of high school and he was very good in the four games that he played at Vanderbilt. And all of a sudden, while, yes, he's in the NBA and he knew that there were going to be growing pains it was difficult for him to not be as good as he remembered himself being. He was thinking to himself, I should be better than this. Yes, I'm in the NBA. Yes, it was going to be tougher, but I should be better than this. I should be able to do some of these other things. And it was hard for him because he physically couldn't do those things that he was used to that made him successful at the other levels. And that was a mental hurdle that I don't think he ever cleared. Now he gets a full summer. He doesn't have any injury setback. He said he feels better, um, as good as he did before the injury. Um, and he's looking to prove, one, the Cavs are right for taking him fifth overall and prove the doubters that he belongs and he's way better than what he showed this past year when he couldn't be himself. The doubters and the numbers. And you. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and look, no, he's I got a lot to prove. Yeah. And the other thing that we got into, Hayden, briefly, was I said it to him. I said, look, this is a loaded draft in terms of guards. The Cavs invested in you. They invested in Colin. And they used the 30th pick on Kevin Porter Jr. Um, how would it sit with you if they turned around and took another player to compete with you because of the struggles that you had as a rookie and them kind of hedging their bets? And, and he, he said the right thing. He, he said the thing that he was probably trained to say. Um, he said, look, 60 guys come into the NBA every year in the draft. 
we're always fighting for our job. We're always fighting for play playing time. Um, and he feels like the way that he is now, as healthy as he is back in his old form, that he would win a competition against whoever they brought it. Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, you, you know how it goes, right? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about it. I got to focus on my own game, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, blah, what are they yeah. supposed to say? Right, exactly. Like, exactly. LaMelo Ball's going to come in and be better than me? <laughs> no, exactly, yeah. I don't think yeah. anybody can say that. Right. I mean, but he also could have said, you know, yeah, I'd be upset, but I'd be, you know, work my butt off and, you know, make sure that I'd beat him. So I totally understand that. Uh, you know, anything else from Darius that, you know, that you want, didn't mention that you want to throw out there? I mean, it's, I mean, it seemed as though he was, as you said, more comfortable and mm-hmm. ready to roll. I mean, that's, a, that's the hardest thing is that, you know, we're going to have to wait till December, hopefully, to, until we see the Cavs again. I mean, it's just like, it's such a long layoff and we've never experienced a layoff like this. So, you know, we could be talking about a bunch of this stuff till we're blue in the face, um, you yeah. know, and how, how much Darius Garland is going to improve. We, we can ask all these questions, but they won't be right. answered until, you know, October, November, December. Right. The only thing that stands out to me is that he's able to do things this offseason from a competitive standpoint, from a workout standpoint, that he physically was not able to do last year. Sure. He's been in the gym all day, every day. That's what he said to me. He participated in 615 runs. A lot of um, really good uh, NBA players and overseas players from the Nashville area went back to the area during the shutdown. Houston Rockets swingman Robert Covington was there. Second round pick Jordan Bone, who played at Tennessee, was there. And um, Jordan Miller, who's playing overseas, who was one of the leading scorers in all of college basketball when he played a couple of years ago at Tennessee State. Like, he was there. So he's getting to do those kinds of things at a competitive high level. So how much that's going to help him when the year comes around, again, like you said, that's an unknown, but getting to do things that he couldn't physically do last year is a step in the right direction. And the hope is that that's going to make him a better player and better equipped and in better shape going into year two than he was going into year one. So you, you mentioned all these, you know, these things that he's doing, are these all, um, are these all, uh, are these all socially distant? I mean, how are, how are they addressing it with the coronavirus? I mean, I have you know, no idea. No idea. Yeah. No idea. I mean, that's kind of a straight, I mean, you know, you, you can only police these guys so much, but right. I mean, that was my first thought as well. They're playing five on five, you know, right. how are they doing it in a socially distant and, you know, healthy way? I don't know. Right. And that was one of the fears that the Cavs and other teams around the NBA had, um, when their practice facility wasn't open. And that's why a lot of the teams pushed to get their practice facility open because sure. they said, look, our guys are going to hoop. They're going to yeah. find a hoop and they're going to play. It yeah. might be a private gym. It might be a gym that they shouldn't be in. So if we open our practice facility, we can put protocols in place to keep them safe, healthy, and protected. And the environment that we can create is a better environment that anybody else out there can create. So sure. this is something that all the teams have had to deal with, I think. Yes, all the teams. But I think even like the Cavaliers and those eight teams that weren't invited are even more so in, in trouble because, yeah. you know, they don't have that opportunity to, to work in that environment like they were, you know, su- they could have been. So, again, right. that Darius was my isn't thought. somebody like Tristan Thompson where he's got a full court basketball. No, I know. Yeah. Um, on his property, you know, right. 
where he can just like wake up and, and hoop in his house. Right. Again, I'm just hoping that they're staying healthy and, and they're able to play in a healthy way. That's all Agreed. I'm saying. Yeah. Completely. Um, agree. Yeah. A hundred percent. I know that hey, you do the Hey Chris column, but uh, if you want to become a friend of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, you can sign up for subtext and subtext is a text message system where Chris, Chris Fedor will text you two to three times a day. Uh, with the inside scoop and analysis on the Cavs, what we're hearing, and gives you the inside word before things even happen. We'll text you on big breaking news first, even before it's up on Cleveland.com. Like today, I'm going to ask you, Chris, because I think you were the first to um, report the Jordan Bell signing, although there are multiple <laughs> erroneous erroneous reports out there. Um, According to some of the Twitter handles, I don't yeah, exist to them. Ex- yeah, that, well, I know, it's unfortunate. Um, One but minute did, to do I've got yeah. timestamps, buddy. There you go. Boom. But you got, uh, you, I'm assuming that you subtexted first, you know, or, it. Yeah. of course. Yeah. And too. So, yeah, exactly. So that's what, that's what you get. You get it before Twitter gets it. You get it before Instagram, you get it before Facebook, you get it before the story. You are the first to get this Cavaliers, uh, breaking news. Um, if you sign up for the subtext, it's a great, through, like it, like it says right here, it's a great way to cut through the clutter of Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. And the only way to get your questions up on the one go doc podcast, you can do a 14 free trial, 14 day free trial to start things out and you can cancel anytime, but you will want, you won't want to cancel people who have signed up, love it and have stayed with it. It's only three 99 a month, which is less than 14 cents a day. So to join, uh, text Chris at two, one, six, two, zero, eight, four, four, nine, nine, two, one, six, two, zero, eight, four, four, nine, nine, or go to join subtext.com slash Cavs insider, join subtext.com slash Cavs insider. And today was a perfect day. And, and here's a sample, Hayden. I just yeah. want to, Sure. Um, this was a text that I sent out last night at 9.15. Ready for it? Yes. 9.15 last night. This is a text that I sent out. Uh, good evening. Chris again. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm hearing that the Cavs aren't going to do anything significant with their two open roster spots. In fact, uh, there's a chance that they may not even fill both of them because of their financial situation. It depends on the price that they can get some of these guys at. Uh, they're still working through their options. Don't be surprised if they just convert Dean Wade from a two-way deal and give him an NBA deal, which would leave them with one open roster spot to fill and then another two-way. The options are still being considered. So that was from last night. There you go. So you would have known the Dean Wade news way before it happened. There's an example. Perfect. Love it. So again, sign up for subtext, 14-day free trial, $3.99 a month. 14 cents a day can't get any better than that um chris i thought we could end the podcast today with some a little bit of it's not fun well it's i guess it could be considered fun um because the memories were certainly fun um well at least the memories in one case were fun the memories in the other case were not so fun but the first thing i wanted to mention (laughs) was cavaliers guard jr smith former cavaliers guard jr smith signing with the los angeles lakers today i don't know about you but i'm happy for him i think that's a good situation for him um, I'm happy to see him back on the basketball court. I mean, you remember Jr. and, and the many memories that he made here in Cleveland. Um, the many the many days spent out at Wake Lakewood Country Club golfing. The, <laughs> the, the many times having his shirt off during the parade or there, yeah. anywhere thereafter. Um, we I saw him around Crocker a couple times here. I mean, what are you? What does this news mean to you? I think any conversation about Jr. Smith is complicated. Yeah. Because there are the things that you mentioned. Um, those memories are always going to be ingrained. 
Sure. But for the last two years that he was here in Cleveland, he was one of the worst players in the NBA. He was a net sure. negative. Yep. Um, and he was a problem. He was yep. a problem to the point where the Cavs had to tell him to go away because they didn't want him around their young players. Certainly. Uh, so when you tell a story of Jr., when you talk about Jr., it, it's you, you talk about the good, you talk about the bad. Um, I don't know if there's more one way or the other. I guess I'm undecided on that, and I don't okay. want to make a flip comment about that. Mm-hmm. I would really have to think more about it. But for the last couple of years, there was way more bad than good. True. Um, yep. And I'm interested to see how he's going to be after two years away from the NBA and how much time he's actually going to get from the Lakers. Uh, because Avery Bradley not being there is, I don't want to say a significant loss for the Lakers because they're still a championship contender. And I don't think it yep. shifts the odds one way or the other. I don't think it should shift the odds one way or the other. But it's somebody who has a defensive reputation athletic out there on the perimeter um can distribute can shoot can space so jr can do um albeit not at the same level as avery bradley he can do and bring some of those same kinds of elements if he can still play i have no idea if he can still play the last time i saw him he couldn't play well i'm glad you brought up the negative because i tend to look at things positively and i guess you do that can kind of be a downfall, but you're right. I mean, those last two years in Cleveland were not right. I mean, they've, I, I think that's the first time, maybe the only time I've ever seen a team pay a guy to stay away just because he was that much of a problem. Now, that being said, um, you know, I think that, uh, that he definitely changed during his time with LeBron here in Cleveland. And I think him going to LA, do you think, I think him being in that situation is probably a more positive situation for them, which is why they're bringing him in than anything, you know, that he, that he would ever bring to a non-contender. I would agree. Yeah. Um, oftentimes a guy's success or failure is dictated a lot by the situation. If you remember, LeBron was the one back in 2015 that went to David Griffin, who was the GM at the time. And, and LeBron told Griff, Hey, bring him in. I got him. I know him. I've known him for a long time. He's not going to be a problem here. I'll take care of it. And to JR's credit, he was very important in some playoff wins. He was a guy that LeBron went to in crunch time at times because he trusted him. I think it was a game against Chicago, if I remember, when the Cavs were down in one of the playoff series. I believe it was the 2015 playoffs. They were staring at a big hole before Mm -hmm. LeBron hit the baseline jumper to win it. And they needed somebody to spark a comeback. And if memory serves, it was JR back from suspension. LeBron put his faith in him. LeBron went to him in big moments. Um, Sometimes he came through. Sometimes he didn't. Uh, But he was somebody who became a lot more reliable here in Cleveland playing alongside LeBron. And if there's somebody who's going to be able to get the most out of JR, it's LeBron. And chances are for somebody who... This is probably his last shot in the NBA, considering uh, I would, he was out I there. Would cert, I would yeah. certainly assume that, yes. I mean, if he's not on his best behavior in that kind of situation, you got a problem. Oh, yeah. You definitely have a problem. Um, so that was, I mean, okay, I, I, I'm glad you brought up the negative because I was thinking JR more positively because, I don't know, I think my lasting memory of JR is, the, you know, his speech after the NBA finals yeah. about when they won uh, with, you know, 
when he spoke about his dad and his family, mm -hmm. that everybody that stuck with him, even though he kind of admitted that he's messed up on multiple occasions. And yep. um, I, I specifically remember that. But certainly there was the time that, you know, he wasn't really willing to help and wasn't, wasn't really, you know, a positive influence in the Cavaliers organization. And they asked him to stay away. So um, the guy that you were talking about before that, though, LeBron James, uh, there was something that aired on ESPN this weekend. And admittedly, I have not watched it yet. So <sighs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have not watched it yet. But I have oh, to watch it. It's about the decision. LeBron James, a decade. Uh, I can't believe that. It was a decade ago. I know. That is unbelievable to me. Think about I the amount of things that have happened since then. Yeah. Well, just the amount of things that have happened in 2020. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But certainly, I mean, I remember exactly where I was on that day. I, ex I remember exactly how everything went. But also, I do have to point this out. And I don't think it's your fault, but I'm looking at the article right now. And the picture that you <laughs> that is the featured image on this LeBron James is like LeBron with his eyes half open, like <laughs> kind of looking a little dumb. I wonder if the plain dealer did that on purpose. <laughs> the one from the decision that night? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, I think that points to kind of what the the docu series um, highlighted last yeah. night. Yeah, he, he was did. so uncomfortable in that yeah. environment. LeBron is somebody who, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing, he was comfortable. If he was a teenager on the cover of Sports Illustrated, he was comfortable. If he was playing in a state championship game against a team that might have looked better than his, he was comfortable. There, there wasn't a situation where he ever appeared uncomfortable until that moment. <laughs> the decision that night, he was sweating, he looked nervous, and I think that picture is perfect. I, I do too. I was, not say, I was not saying it was a bad thing. I think it's perfect, but it just, it just kind of fits the moment. It kind of does. And I don't know, even the shirt that he's wearing, he, that's not like a LeBron shirt. No, not at all. It just he, the whole thing just was so bad, and I remember, I remember, like I just remember thinking at the time, I'm like, there is no way he's gonna go to Greenwich, Connecticut, and like in this weird place and come back to the Cavaliers. Like, there, exactly. this is this is such a random, awful thing. Like, just it, it just didn't make any sense to me. Right, but it's all part of his legacy. Yes, it is part of his legacy. Sure, but but I think here's the thing, Hayden. I think at the time. So many people talked about it from a negative standpoint on his legacy. Yeah. Right. It was like the worst moment uh, publicly of his entire career. And I think because of the execution of that whole dog and pony show, it still is. But if we talk about its impact on his legacy, like to me, oh boy, I don't know how to say this without getting yelled at. Um, by me, by by, <laughs> by you, by the listeners, okay, by everybody say, that no, likes say it and say, say it, and I'll say it, and I'll yell at you, and or I won't yell at you. <laughs> All right. Um, no, I will not yell at you. We will have a we will have a talk. It it in a weird way has allowed his legacy to get stronger. I agree with. Let that. me explain that. Okay. I do agree with that. I totally agree with that. Because if he didn't do the decision in 2010, if he didn't have um, that kind of outcome in 2010, where he stabbed Cleveland in the heart and he left the Cavs, um, one, like they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have been able to become the team that they became 
in a situation where LeBron wanted to come back here. And if he didn't go through the decision that night, the championship that the Cavs won still would have been absolutely enormous because it still would have ended the drought. It still would have been taking down the Golden State Warriors. But part of what made that so special was coming back after the decision and delivering that championship. The chosen one returned. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I think there's more than that. Yeah. So, yeah, on top of that, it's part of LeBron's legacy. I would argue one of the biggest parts of his legacy is what he has done in terms of empowering players to make their own decisions. If LeBron didn't do what he did in 2010, going to Miami, um, building a team in an unconventional, never-before-seen way, uh, Kevin Durant doesn't do what he did in 2016 and join the Golden State Warriors. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. LeBron had to do what he did in 2010 for somebody like Durant um, to be comfortable with that kind of decision. And Durant still got a ton of vitriol, but LeBron had to go through it first. Yeah. Well, okay, from my perspective, I think it made him that, I just think the whole thing kind of forced him to reevaluate himself. You know, I think, you know, it forced him to, you know, at first he was the villain and he played a whole season as the villain and everybody didn't hated like him it. didn't and yep. he hated it. he hated being the villain and you know it proved it it showed itself in that nba finals when he was a shell of himself he had absolutely every bullseye on his back and did not like it and it and he, he played arguably the worst basketball of his nba career and he forced himself that summer to take a look in the mirror and say okay how do i make the best of this situation how do i get this bullseye off my back how do i kind of work to repair my image and he did it on the basketball floor he did it in the community and he i just think it just completely it made him mature it made him realize that you know he's a human too at times and um certainly it helped him obviously to get back to yes. cleveland where i don't think he would have been if he um if he didn't if he didn't do the decision even if he just went to the miami heat i mean i think the way that he did the decision really made him think okay i got to go back cuz i got something to prove there um yep. i didn't do that right and um i got to go back and do it right and i think you're right everything you said was right about you know about making it that much more special and although the kevin durant thing yeah i mean i'm i'm sure going looking back he'd have been like <laughs> well if you know if if kevin durant didn't join the warriors would we have had a little bit of a dynasty here yes. maybe Maybe we could have done a little more, but, um, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, And I think it just, it made his whole career that much better and stronger. So yeah. it was a bad moment, but he, but that's what makes LeBron great. He makes the best out of bad situations and um, he made the best out of a really bad situation in regards to the decision. And look, as much as LeBron needed Miami, Hayden, the collective, we needed Miami. Cleveland yeah. needed Miami to happen. Yeah. The Cavs needed Miami to happen. Sure. Because, that turned him into a champion. He mm-hmm. learned how to be a champion. Yep. Pat Riley taught him that. Dwayne Wade taught him that. And he needed somebody to teach him how to be a champion. He knew how to be an MVP. He knew how to be a great player. He did not know how to be a champion. And on nope. top of that, he needed to go to Miami for the Cavs to get Kyrie Irving and to right. position themselves from a roster standpoint to be appealing enough for LeBron after having won a championship. Right to want to come back here. If LeBron doesn't go to Miami, that roster was a mess here in yep. Cleveland. They weren't yep. getting any further. They weren't getting past the Boston Celtics. 
Heck, nope. a couple of years after that, they probably wouldn't have even gotten past the Indiana Pacers or something along those lines because the, the roster just wasn't good enough for him to win a championship. Right. And he knew that. Yeah, and that's obviously all part of the reason that he left. But also, I think, I think again, you mentioned Pat Riley. I also think he needed James Jones. I think he needed Dwayne Wade. I yep. think he needed Chris Bosh. I think he needed Udonis Haslam. He yep. needed all those guys. He needed Ray Allen. He knew yep. he needed all those guys to teach him because he hadn't he just hadn't been there and he didn't know how to do it. I mean, Dwayne Wayne had been there. We were Shaq, but Dwayne yes. Wade had been there. Ray Allen had been there. I mean, you know. And here's the other thing, Hayden. He needed to fail that way. Yes. Right. So like he had come up short before that in his career. He couldn't get past the Celtics at times. Detroit was a hurdle for him at various mm-hmm. points. The San Antonio Spurs also, especially in the NBA yeah. final. Finals, but yeah. here in Cleveland, with that roster, LeBron was always able to say, it wasn't on me. These dudes weren't good enough. Like, yeah, we lost in the finals against San Antonio, but don't put that on me. That's not on me. He never had any reason to look at himself in the mirror and have that level of accountability until he did what he did in the NBA Finals against Dallas, because LeBron wasn't going to sit there, Hayden, after joining the Miami Heat and having that huge celebration about not one, not oh, that two, was, not that, three. That, that was part of it, too. That was right. a bad day. And he's oh, not going to sit there playing on a team with two other top 25 players and say, well, we lost that championship uh, to Dallas because of Dwayne. Right. Or we lost that because Eric Spolstra wasn't good enough or Chris Bosch wasn't good enough for the first time in his career. He had to, like you said, look himself in a mirror and, and take accountability in a different kind of way because it was on him and he yes. knew it was on him and everybody around him knew it was on him for the first time in his career. He couldn't point the finger at somebody else and, and have been correct about it. It was right. time for him to point the finger at himself. And he came back a completely different player after that. He changed some of the things that he did. Um, He went to like a sports psychologist and he became a better player. Absolutely. He definitely did. And uh, it's, I I can't wait to watch it. I can't wait to watch, you know, what went into it and everything. And I know the story kind of goes into the details of it. And, uh, but still, I do want to watch it. I kind of get the whole the, the premise of it, but it's something that I definitely want to watch because I remember everything about it. And um, that I, that that or whatever that was, you just not a press conference. It's just a celebration or a party. <laughs> what, what I don't know what you call laser that. light show. It was laser a party. Light show. That's basically what it was. Literally what it was. Yeah, just to show those three guys in the same uniform. I mean, that's literally what it was. Um, yeah, that was. I remember a couple of my friends were down there. It was crazy. <laughs> just like. Oh, my goodness. Only in Miami did would that happen. All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for the time today, my friend. Um, we will be back with you next Monday. Um, we'll see if there is any other Cavs news. We'll be on the lookout for any other NBA news. Um, and I will have a better uh, idea of the decision documentary. Or the, would you call it a special more so than a documentary? I think I labeled it a docu-series. Docu-series. Okay, got it. I don't got know it. if that's even right. I don't even know if that's a word. It is. It is. It I mean, sounded, right? it's generally correct. I would say generally it is correct. I mean, you're, you're trying to you're trying to label something that really doesn't have a label. So I don't really yeah. have a problem with with that. But either way, I will have a better idea of uh, of that. So and anything else think, you got? Oh, go ahead. I mean, I don't think it's something that, you know, Cavs fans are going to hate. No. And for the reasons and that I we don't mentioned. Think, 
Yeah, and I don't think it's going to spark up all these other um, feelings of animosity, in part because he came back to help them win a championship. But I just, I, I didn't feel in watching the docu-series, see what I did there? Um, there you go. I didn't feel like it was that kind of docu-series where it drove you to those kinds of emotions. It was no. just... It was just digging into the details and the backstory about how it all came together and what it was truly about. Because I think that night, so many people felt it was about one thing. And I think as as this docuseries shows, um, the gist of it was about power and player right. empowerment. And yep. LeBron being able to tell his own story in his own words um, in a way that was uncommon. Yeah, and certainly also, um, I think it's it it is a reminder that you know it was a it was something that was not probably a good thing, um, but it ended up a good thing. It ended up you know helping as you as we mentioned helped it helped Miami helped Cleveland helped LeBron um, took took something you know that was very very negative and had a very negative impact and turned it into a positive. So I certainly don't think the Cavs fans would look at that and say look at this documentary and say like oh this this is disgusting. No, I think yeah. it's again a good look at. Something that was will bring up bad memories, but uh, also will help bring positive memories. So I can certainly see that. Anything else, Chris? No, buddy. I think that's it. We covered All everything. Right. Yes, we did. We've covered a lot. So thank you for joining the Wines of Gold Talk podcast. Remember to sign up for subtext so you can get that breaking news a minute before Chris tweets it and a minute before uh, other stations and other outlets tweeted so, <laughs> so chris will get the proper credit that he deserves um thank well, you thank again you. we appreciate you and uh we'll join you next week on the winning gold talk podcast take care